If you've not already done so, get your Bible back out again, please. And make your way to 2 Peter chapter 1. Please make your way in the scripture to 2 Peter chapter 1. What a wonderful day of worship we've had together. I'm just so happy to see all of you. It's always a blessing to be among some of the most wonderful people on the planet. And that's God's people. God's people right here in this place. And I appreciate seeing all of you this morning. And I certainly appreciate the opportunity to worship the Lord with you. Just so happy about the opportunity we have together. Growth, growth matters. Growth matters. Growth is a really big deal. Would you agree with, with that this morning? Would you agree that, that growth matters? I believe you, you would agree with that. I mean, if you're a parent of children past the age of a month, I believe that you'd be very concerned if your children look the same today as they did on the day they were born, right? I believe you would agree that that's not normal. That's not right. That's not the way things are supposed to be. And what about all the pet owners in the room this morning? If you're someone here this morning who's bought a puppy before, I'm pretty sure that when you bought that puppy, you expected it to grow, right? I'm pretty sure that you would be very concerned if your puppy always remained a puppy. And what about planting a garden? What about planting a garden maybe in your backyard? I mean, if you do all the plowing and the watering and the weeding and the mowing and, and all the things are involved in planting a garden, would you be concerned if nothing ever came up? Would you be concerned if you never got any kind of produce? Again, growth, growth matters. Growth is important. Growth is a really big deal. It's a really big deal when it comes to the development of children. And it's a really big deal when it comes to owning a pet. And it's a really big deal when it comes to planting a garden. And it's a really big deal when it comes to being a Christian. It's a really big deal when it comes to being a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe that's the very point that the Apostle Peter is making in 2 Peter chapter 1. Going back to our key text for this year's theme, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. I want you to notice how in those verses, the Apostle Peter talks about growth. He talks about growth. He talks about spiritual growth. He says spiritual growth is essential. It is necessary. It has to be done if we're going to become all God intends us to become. In fact, in addition to telling us about the importance of growth in these verses. Well, I submit that in them, the Apostle Peter also tells us how to do it. He also gives us some ingredients for spiritual growth, he also gives us a blueprint on how to develop and mature properly for the Lord. And so now that Brother Brian has done a wonderful job last Sunday talking about the grace of God and how God's grace should motivate us to grow over the next year. Over the next 12 months, Lord willing, I want to talk with you about how to do it. I want to talk with you about how to grow. I want to share with you the Apostle Peter's ingredients 
for spiritual growth. And we're going to begin this series of lessons, this monthly series, by talking about how to develop solid faith. Solid faith. Let me ask you a question. How much faith? How much faith do you have today? How much faith do you have in your life right now? How much faith did you have as you drove on the 202 this morning? How much faith did you have in all the other drivers as you were on the 202 or on the 10? How much faith did you have that the people who were on the interstate with you, they were not going to swerve into your lane and run you off the road? Did you have so much faith this morning in those people that you didn't even think about that? You didn't even realize how much danger you were in. You were so relaxed this morning as you drove to church that you maybe listened to some music. Did that describe you this morning? How much faith do you have in all the people and all the people you were on the interstate with this morning? And how much faith do you have in your doctor? I mean, when you, when you get sick in your body and you got to go see your doctor, how much faith do you have in his ability to help you? How much faith do you have in your doctor? How much faith do you have in an Uber driver? How much faith do you have in a Lyft driver? How much faith do you have in a pilot? How much faith do you have in somebody like Greg Duckworth? Let me tell you something. A few days ago, my family and I took a few plane rides back and forth to, to the state of Washington to do the work of God. And I'm going to tell you all something. I had a lot of faith in my pilots. I had a lot of faith in my Southwest pilots. I had so much faith in those guys. But you know what I did on the plane? I slept. I played games, browsed the Internet, read a book. I even ate a bunch of pretzels and drank a bunch of Coke Zero. I had a ton of faith, a ton of faith in my pilots. And I'm pretty sure you do as well. But here's the real question. The real question is, how much faith do you have in God? How much faith do you have in the living God? Do you have more faith in God than you do an Uber driver? Do you have more faith in God than you do your pilot or your doctor? Do you have more faith in God than you do all these people that you don't even worry about as you're driving on the 202 or the 10? Are you in 2 Peter chapter 1? In 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse number 5. In 2 Peter 1 and verse number 5, the apostle Peter says, Now for this very reason also, and he's speaking to Christians here, applying all diligence in your faith, Supply moral excellence or virtue and in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness, love. I want you to notice very carefully what Peter says in verse number five. Notice a couple of very important things from that verse. First, notice how if we're going to accomplish our goal this year, if we're going to mature, if we're going to grow. If we're going to spiritually develop as the people of God, then the first thing we got to do, according to Peter, is we got to want to do that. We got to want to grow. We have to desire to grow. We got to put forth an effort and engage in some hard work. That's what Peter means when he says applying all diligence. When Peter uses that language in verse five, applying all diligence, what he's trying to get us to understand is we're not going to grow by just sitting in a pew on Sunday. We're not going to grow by being lazy and apathetic. We're not going to grow by being content with where we currently are in our spiritual walk. No, Peter says if we're going to grow, we're going to have to put forth an effort. 
We're going to have to work at it. We're going to have to apply all diligence. In fact, the second thing I want you to notice is how Peter says in that verse that the basis for all spiritual growth begins. It begins with faith. It begins with having a rock solid and strong faith. Question, what in the world is that? What in the world is faith? What is Bible faith? What does the kind of faith that Peter is talking about here involve? Well, I want to suggest there are about, there are about four or five different things, at least four or five different things. That this kind of faith Peter is talking about here involves, and the first thing it involves is it involves believing without seeing. Believing without seeing it. Isn't that what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7? In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, Paul says, as Christians, for we walk by faith and not by what? Not by sight. As Christians, we walk by faith and not by the things we see with our physical eyes. We walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus made the same point in John chapter 20, when after Thomas had examined the Lord's risen body, Jesus said to Thomas and the other apostles, blessed are they, the they there is talking about people like us. Disciples today, future followers of Jesus, blessed are they who did not see it. They didn't see it with their eyes, and yet, and yet they believe. That's people like us. We walk by faith and not by sight. Now go in your Bible to Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 11. For those of you who are in that Hebrews class, you probably got very familiar with this verse right here. You know that this verse, Hebrews 11 and verse 1, gives a great definition of faith, doesn't it? Gives a great definition. Hebrews 11 and verse 1, what does it say? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, some translations say the evidence for things not seen, not seen. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. In other words, we can't expect to please God on any level at all without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Notice how the Hebrew writer is making our point. He is saying faith involves believing without seeing. Believing without seeing. I've never seen God before. But I believe in God. I've never seen God create the world in six literal days, but I believe God did that. I've never seen Jesus before. I've never seen Jesus perform miracles before. I've never seen Jesus give sight to the blind. I've never seen Jesus walk on water. I've never seen Jesus calm terrible storms or cast demons out of people or heal lepers or raise the dead. I've never seen Jesus do any of that stuff, but I still believe he did it. I've never seen heaven. Never seen hell, never seen the devil, never seen angels, never seen the Holy Spirit. And yet I believe in all those things by faith. I believe in all those things, not by not because of blind faith. Not because of faith without evidence, but because of evidence. Because of careful investigation, because I'm ultimately convicted. By the testimony given in the gospel Pertaining to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Faith, Bible faith involves believing, even though you haven't seen it. It involves believing in God and the things of God, even though you've never seen those things. But not only does it involve believing without seeing, 
as we said this morning, it also involves obedience, right? Oh, yes, it involves obedience. Go back to Hebrews 11. Look at verse 2. Notice how after giving us a clear definition of what Bible faith is, in verse number 2 it says, For by it, by faith, the men of old, that is the faithful people of God that we can read about in the Old Testament, they gained approval. How did they do that? How did the men of old gain approval by faith? Well, beginning in verse number 4, the Hebrew writer tells us, beginning in verse number four, we see that the men of old gained approval with God by faith because they combined their belief with action. They did something. They submitted to God. They obeyed God. Noah built an ark. Abel worshiped God. Enoch walked with God. Moses suffered with the people of God. Abraham traveled, traveled to Canaan, even though he had never been there before. Rahab hid the spies. The children of Israel marched, marched around the, the walls of the city of Jericho. All of these things, this entire chapter, this whole chapter shows us that genuine faith, real faith, authentic faith is belief in God accompanied with action. You got to do something. You got to obey God. And we saw that this morning. In James 2, go back to James 2. There's a reason why I wanted to connect both those lessons together today. James chapter 2, remember what James told us in James 2 and verse number 14. In James 2 and verse 14, James says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? The answer to that is no. Verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead. Being by itself. Verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 26, for just the body without the spirit is dead. So also faith without works is dead. Notice how contrary to what a lot of religious folks like to do today. Contrary to how a lot of religious folks like to separate faith from obedient works. James here, he connects them. James puts them together. James says that works or obedient works, they complete faith. They perfect our faith. In other words, in other words, if you don't engage in the works of God, if you don't obey God, then according to James, you really don't believe in God. You really don't have faith in God. You're not following in the footsteps of the men of old. That the Hebrew writer talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, Bible faith involves believing without seeing. And it also involves action, obeying God. And then thirdly, it also involves trusting God. Oh, yes, you got to trust God. If you're going to have faith. And so many of you know that one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Proverbs three. I've told you that many times. And I want to appeal to that passage right now. in Proverbs chapter three. In Proverbs 3, in Proverbs 3, beginning with verse 5. In Proverbs chapter 3, and in verse 5, Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. And understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You'll be healing to your body and refreshment to, you, to your bones. So notice in verses 5 and 6, Solomon used the word all there. You see that word all? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and all your ways acknowledge the Lord, it takes faith to do that. It takes faith to do that. It takes faith to trust in God with all our hearts. It takes faith to acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways. It takes faith to trust God when difficult things begin to happen to us in our lives. It takes faith to trust God when things start getting rocky in our marriages. It takes faith to trust God and to trust in God's plan for the permanency of marriage. It takes faith to trust in God's plan for raising our kids and to trust what God has to say about the dangers of alcohol and to trust what God has to say about the standard for our morality and to trust in God's ability to take care of us and watch over us if we ever begin to be severely persecuted for our beliefs. You see, real faith in God, real faith in God, it involves trusting God. It involves trusting in God's ways. God's wisdom and God's promises, but not only does it involve obeying God and trusting God and believing in God without seeing God, fourthly, it also involves worshiping God. Got to worship God if you have faith. You remember the story of Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis? Remember that? Remember in Genesis chapter 4, we can read about Cain and Abel worshiping God. The sons of Adam and Eve, they're worshiping God, but only Abel's worship pleases God. Only Abel's worship finds favor with the Lord. And from that text, we see that when it comes to worship, God doesn't just accept anything. We can't just do whatever we want before God expect him to accept that. In fact, the question that is often raised from that text is why didn't God accept Cain's worship? What was wrong with Cain's worship on this occasion? Well, you'll hear many different, many different people say many different things. They'll speculate about the different kind of offerings and sacrifices and all that stuff. But I want to suggest the answer to that question is not found in any of those speculations. It's not found in Genesis 4. It's not found in the Old Testament. Instead, it's found back in Hebrews 11. And so go back to Hebrews 11 again, please. Look at Hebrews 11 and, and verse number 4. You want to know what separated Cain's? And Abel's worship, the Bible tells you in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. In Hebrews 11 and verse 4, the Bible says, by faith, by faith, by faith, Abel offered a God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Notice the main thing. According to the Bible, the main thing that separated Abel's worship from Cain's worship was faith. It was faith. Abel worshiped in faith to God. You know what that shows us? That shows us that when we come together to worship God, it's not enough just to, it's not good enough just to be here. It's not good enough just to go through the motions. It's not good enough just to go through the right mechanics and the right methods. No, in addition to those things, God wants us to worship in faith. We got to worship in faith. We got to worship with our hearts. We got to concentrate and really desire to glorify God in the things that we're doing. That's the main thing the Bible says. 
that made Abel's worship pleasing to God. And that same thing is true today. Even today, even in 2023, as I speak to you right now, God wants his people to worship in faith. God wants his people to sing in faith. God wants his people to sing, really believing the words of the songs they're singing and really believing that God, even though they can't see God, he's hearing everything they say. God wants his people to pray in faith. God wants his people to talk to him, really believing that God is hearing us, even though God's not talking to us back, even though we can't see God. God wants us to take that Lord's Supper in faith. God wants us to avoid just going through the motions, just just eating the bread and, and drinking the juice so I can check this thing off on my spiritual checklist. No, 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 no. God, when we take the Lord's Supper, he wants us to think. Put your heart in it. Meditate. Ponder. Really believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we give, as Brother Andy was saying this morning, we got to give in faith. You got to give in faith. God wants us to do that. God wants us to give generously and sacrificially. He wants us to feel our giving because we know that if we give sacrificially and invest ourselves in his work, he's going to take care of us. We trust him. Not trying to hoard my money. Not trying to rob God, but also keep Netflix and Disney Plus and all these other perks I want in my life. No, I'm going to give generously and sacrificially to God because I got faith. I got faith God's going to take care of me. Faith involves worshiping and faith, and it also involves having some courage. Having some courage to share your faith. We've been talking about Mark 16 in our Bible class. Mark 16, 15. My son brought that verse up this morning in Bible class. Remember what Jesus said? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Do you, do you have the faith needed to do what that verse says? Do you have the faith to share your faith? You know, the early Christians did, did they not? They did. We read that in the book of Acts last year. Living in a world where they were facing an extreme level of persecution that we can't even begin to fathom. The Bible says they shared their faith in Jesus Christ. They had the courage to share their faith in Jesus. That's what Peter did in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. That's what Stephen did when he stood before the Sanhedrin council, the hostile Sanhedrin council in Acts chapter 7. That's what Paul did when he went to Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica and Athens. That's what the Christians did in Acts 8 and verse 4. When they were being persecuted to such a degree that they had to leave their homes in Jerusalem. The Bible says that even though they were being persecuted, they went out spreading the word. The early Christians, they had the faith and the courage to share their faith. The question is, what about me? What about me? What about you? What about you in your life right now? I mean, living in a society like we do, living in a society and in a country where we still have the protected right to worship and be Christians and spread the message of the gospel. Are we taking advantage of that? Do we have the courage of our convictions? Do we have the courage to share our faith? Do we have the courage and the faith to ask that co-worker 
that co-worker that we work with every single day who says religious things that are just wrong, who talks about religious error all the time, do we have the faith to ask that person for a Bible study? Do we have the faith to invite that next door neighbor to church and to come worship with us that we talk to maybe every single day? Do we have the faith to share a sermon? or a Bible class on our social media page, or the faith to continue trying to restore brethren that we know have left the family of God and the Lord. You see, those who have real faith in God, they don't keep it to themselves. They share it. They spread it. They try to tell other people about their faith. Well, I just want you to see there's a reason. There's a reason why the Bible says that faith is the foundation for growth. There's a reason why the Bible says that faith is the basis for growth. You see, our faith is connected to so many different parts of our lives as Christians. And so that brings us to another question. And that question is, how do we solidify it? How do we get it stronger? How do we get it rock solid? so that we can then add Peter's ingredients for growth to it. Well, I want to give you very quickly about three or four different things to think about very quickly. How do we solidify our faith as Christians? Well, the first means that God has given us to solidify our faith. It's right there in your hand this morning. It's the Bible. It's the word of God. And I can't do this sermon any kind of justice without reading to you 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, what did Paul tell Timothy about the Bible? And 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 16, Paul says, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, mature, perfect, Equipped for every good work. Notice how, according to Paul, in addition to telling us that the Bible is inspired by God, Paul also says that the Bible is designed to do something for us. It's designed to do something for me and do something for you. It's designed to equip us, to grow us, to mature us, to perfect us, to certainly perfect our faith. The Bible is designed to help our faith, to increase our faith. And Paul makes a similar point also in Romans 10 and verse 17. You know this verse. What did Paul say? So that faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Notice how Bible faith, Bible faith comes from one place, and that's the Bible. Bible faith comes from the Bible. It doesn't come from preachers. It doesn't come from elders, doesn't come from pastors, doesn't come from your parents, young people. It doesn't come from secular books about world history or college professors. No, the Bible says that Bible faith comes from the Bible. It comes from the Bible, and that is why we place such an emphasis on the Bible here in this place. That is why we offer a daily Bible reading schedule. 
and why we offer Bible classes and weekly Zoom classes and youth devotionals and gospel meetings and step-by-step videos and why we're even studying the Bible right now. The reason why all of these avenues for studying the Bible are made available to you is so that we can all solidify our faith. And so we can all grow in our faith, build our faith, learn more from the source of faith, which is the word of God. You see, the more we read the Bible and study the Bible and talk about the Bible and meditate on the Bible, the more our faith is going to increase. The more our faith is going to grow, the more our faith is going to get rock solid and strong. You see, people who are full of faith are full of the Bible. They got a lot of Bible in them. And so we solidify our faith through the Bible, but we also solidify our faith. You ready for this one? Through prayer. Through prayer. And Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter 17 and in verse number five, in Luke chapter 17 and in verse number five, the apostles speak to Jesus and they say to the Lord, increase our faith. How many times have you said that in your prayers? Increase our faith. Notice how the apostles are beseeching the Lord for more faith. Specifically, they want more faith to forgive in the context. They need more faith to forgive. They want more faith to do the difficult things that the Lord demands. And we need the same amount of faith today. We need to be asking God for more faith today. Today, we need to be asking God for more faith to trust him and to lean on him and to do the difficult things. We need to be asking God for more faith to persevere and keep going and continue in faithfulness to God. No matter what problems and trials and tribulations come our way, we need to be praying for more faith to believe. That as Christian parents, we can raise children who follow Jesus and love the Bible and are strong soldiers for the Lord. We need to be asking God for more faith to help us really believe that. We need to be praying for more faith to forgive. We need to be praying for more faith to love those who don't love us back. We need to be praying for more faith to evangelize and to let go of bitterness and grudges. We need to be praying for more faith to have confidence in God's ability to keep his promises. Every day when you pray, every day when you pray, make sure you pray for more faith. Make sure you ask God, you beg God to give you more faith. Beg God to give you the faith you need to do the difficult things that he demands. We solidify our faith through Bible, through the Bible, through prayer. But I got to put this one on here also. We also solidify it by doing this right here. By assembling, by, by assembling with the saints to worship God. Go into the Hebrews chapter 10. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Brother Greg made reference to this in his prayer this morning. In Hebrews the 10th chapter and in verse number 23. In Hebrews the 10th chapter and in verse number 23. The Hebrew writer says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful and let us cons- consider how to stimulate one another. To love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So notice how in addition to this time, 
being the avenue God has ordained to worship him and praise his glorious name, this time also offers us a wonderful opportunity to do so many important things for each other. We're doing things for each other right now. We're encouraging each other. We're strengthening each other. We're stimulating one another to love and good works. We are helping build up each other's faith. You are doing that by just being here this morning. And we need that, don't we? Do we not need that? I mean, living in a world, living in a society and a culture where the vast majority of people don't know God, don't love God, and don't want to know and love God, we need to be committed to assemblies like this that remind us that we're not alone. I look at you and I know I'm not alone. There are other people here in the valley who love God. And they love Jesus and they believe the Bible and they believe in partaking of the Lord's Supper and prayer and studying the Bible and singing and showing adoration to the creator of the universe. One of the great tools God has given to solidify our faith is the person sitting next to you. And sitting behind you and in front of you and all around this building, you see, that's something we got to remember. Whenever we're tempted to stay at home and forsake the assembly and watch an online worship service, whenever we intentionally forsake times like this, we are robbing ourselves. Of one of the great avenues and tools God has given us to solidify our faith. We solidify our faith through the Bible, through prayer. Through worship, again, let me give you one more very quickly. Through also remembering. Remembering God's blessings. Remembering God's provisions that he's made for us in the past. Are you still in Hebrews chapter 10? Are you still there? Look back at verse 23. Look at verse 23. I don't want you to miss what verse 23 said. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is what? He's faithful. The Bible says God is faithful. Do you believe that? You have faith in what that verse says. I want you to think about your life right now. Will you just think about your life? Think about all God has done for you in your life. Can, can, can you see that? Think about how well you eat every single day. Think about your job, your home, your family, your wife, your kids, your grandkids. All of that came from God. Think about how when you were going through a rough moment in your life, when you lost somebody close to you, lost a parent, lost a child, maybe lost a spouse, maybe you got really sick, maybe you got really discouraged about something and God didn't let you down. God comforted you through his people, through a brother or a sister or brothers and sisters in this church. Think about how God was there for you providentially. And think about the greatest need you have in your life. Think about the need you have to be saved from your sins. And God took care of that problem 2,000 years ago when he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to live a perfect life and to die on the cross. God is faithful. God is a faithful God. And God's faithfulness 
His faithfulness in the past should build up and strengthen our faith and trust in him today. It should strengthen and build up our faith and trust in him in the future. I mean, if God is faithful enough to send his son into the world to die for our sins and provide for us every single day, then he's certainly faithful enough to keep the promises he's made to us in the future. He's certainly faithful enough to preserve and grow his church no matter how wicked and corrupt our society becomes. He's certainly faithful enough to be with us even to the end of the world. He's certainly faithful enough to send his son back one day and to bring us into heaven. He's certainly faithful enough to forgive us of our sins whenever we repent from the heart. But I just want you to see this morning, as before, before we can begin applying Peter's ingredients for growth before we can apply things and grow in things like virtue and knowledge and self-control and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love before we can do that, before we can eat that recipe and those ingredients. We got to solidify our faith. Got to make sure we got a strong faith. Got to make sure we have a solid faith, a solid faith, according to Peter. It's the foundation from which all spiritual growth takes place. And may God bless you as you hopefully apply these things we've talked about today and grow your faith. May God bless you as you grow your faith. In fact, maybe there's somebody here this morning and that's exactly what you need. You need some help growing in your faith. Maybe there's a Christian here this morning and you need encouragement. You need prayers from brothers and sisters because your faith is wavering. Your faith is not where it needs to be. We'll be more than happy to pray with you and pray for you this morning. Or maybe there's someone here and you haven't even begun the journey of faith. You need to have faith in Christ and confess that faith in Christ and act in faith, obedience, by being baptized for the remission of your sins. If there's someone here who needs to begin the journey of faith, or maybe you need some health strengthening your faith, whatever your spiritual need may be. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.